Falcon is the pinnacle Amiga flight sim. Join us for a deep dive, or maybe I should say a steep climb, with our in-depth review on Amigos Everything Amiga. Hi everybody, welcome to Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're talking about Falcon. Yeah, man. Do you have a favorite bird of prey? Falcon would be up there. You know, they're pretty They're pretty cool. Have you ever thought about getting into falconry, you know, just on I the have. side? I have, actually, because be, you know, it, it is pretty neat to have the thing on your, you know, the wrist. There's not a whole lot of people that can walk around with a giant bird on their arm all the time. No, and, you know, and, and believe it or not, there is a falconry camps in the state. Really? You know, yeah. And, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, and, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if these birds are native. I mean, we have all kinds of crazy birds mm -hmm. in West we Virginia, do. you know, but I don't know if the, the kind you use is specific for falconry or whatever, but I know I've seen little camps and stuff. Do you have a fear of birds at all? <sighs> well, I mean, if, as long as they stand in my business. Well, I mean, you, you got a, a falcon's a killing machine and it's right there next to you. Here's the problem, all right? And you're, you got a valid point there because, like, for example, you can't, if we look through the wall in front of us, my back door, there's a bird's nest that they built in the light fixture over the door. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there's there was eggs in there. Mm -hmm. So when you come out the door, like the birds get freaked out. Yeah. They jump up, they start chirping and crapping everywhere, mm -hmm. and they're flying around and they they land and they wait for you to move. And right. they're 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 pissed. Right. Because that's like somebody going into your house, right. you know, and they're mad. And I will say it's it is alarming. And so if you multiply that little bird by like twenty it's killer bird. Mm -hmm. It probably could get intimidating. Yeah, you know. And I've been around some like eagles and stuff when I was up at a, up at a zoo, mm -hmm. and they're huge. They're yeah. really big. Yeah. So you got to sort of have probably some strength too to hold those suckers up. That's you know? what I was thinking. You got to have strength, and you got to have a real thick jerkin or whatever they you put. Is on that your what that's called? There. A jerkin? <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> that's what I call it. It's, that's what. What does? <laughs> is there a bird involved in your jerkin? I don't think Let's I want to know. <laughs> Let's just talk about the game. Uh, it's just like it's not like somebody's pounding a keyboard with rubber chickens. <laughs> it's a crazy time. It's Falcon Boat. It is. Listen, I want to talk about something right away. The uh, the American box art for this is awesome. It's got the plane. It's got that Falcon like. Hovering behind, it's so cool. It's almost like the Falcon is like launching it, launching the, the plane with its arm. Like it was like involved in the design. Right. It's like, this is based on me. <laughs> Go kill. That's what I liked it. But I remember when this box came out in the stores, I was like, man, I'm not buying that, but that looks awesome. Uh, so Falcon, the original Falcon boat uh, released on the Amiga in 89. Now, uh, let's get into it right away. This was not made for the Amiga initially. This came out originally for the DOS machines and, of all machines, the Apple Mac, that's the Mac Classic. That's but right, the black were, and white Mac. Were you in the game with the Macs back in those days? Heck, I was six years old in 1987. Oh, yeah, I wasn't right. in the game with anything. Coming, I keep forgetting it. Okay, <laughs> fine, be a jerk. Uh, this, was, uh, this was developed by Spectrum Holobyte, mm -hmm. but the in-house, as far as I could tell, and published everywhere else on Earth by Spectre Hallway, except for Europe, where this was published by Mirrorsoft. Now, the Amiga version of this was ported over 
by an outfit called Rowan or Rowan. You know, by the way, I go to a prison called Rowan. Mm-hmm. There's a county in Kentucky called That's Rowan right. County. It's, it's yeah. in that county. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Um, the fellows that designed this made the concept up are sort of important guys. Uh, Gilman Louie, great name. Yeah. And Mark Johnson. Mm-hmm. So get this. Uh, Gilman Louie was behind some pretty big deals. Amongst them, Met Commander, which was a pretty big game back in the day amongst a certain amount of people. MiG-29, Star Trek Next Generation Final Unity, for that one. And MechWarrior 3, which mm. is a great DOS uh, game. Mark Johnson had some decent stuff, too, including uh, Buck Rogers uh, and uh, Champs of Corinne, Renegade, Legion's Interceptor. You know, those are some pretty big games from back in the day. He also, unfortunately, worked on Archon Ultra. I wasn't a big fan of that one. Was that the, the it was little the, talked about third release? It in the was. Series? It was. Now get this: he worked on Super Bubsy. Remember Bubsy? Yeah. Did you know there's a Super Bubsy for Windows? I, yeah. never, <laughs> I was baffled at that. Get that on ARG. But I want to see that. But Mark Johnson, really, what he was most well known for, he he worked on a lot of Gold Box games, mm. both the D and D games, pretty good. Uh, coded by Chris Orton. You'll notice a lot of these guys worked on the, on the same type of games. Uh, he worked on Dawn Patrol, uh, Reach the Skies. Uh, another coder, Colin Bell, worked on Reach the Skies. Uh, another guy, Russell Payne, worked on F-29. You see, the, you see the common thread here. So you've got a lot of the same people that worked on uh, these uh, flight simulator games. They came in as some sort of pedigree or carried this game forward uh, when they moved on to their other uh, efforts. Uh, the music in this, for what it is, uh, it's listed as Andy Fisher and Russell Payne. The pain. Even Russell Payne worked on F-29, so I'm guessing he did sound effects in this. That's probably what carried through. Uh, sound effects are pretty good. We'll get to them. This is an OCS joint, yeah. if you can believe that. Well, mode. I can because it came out in 1989. Right, but I mean, it just by looking at it, it's, it, it, it defies most logic on what you would expect on the on the uh, Amiga. Uh, we'll get into some of the other things. Now, this, again, I mentioned that this was not originally based on the Amiga, of course. Uh, but you also got ports, aside from the Apple and uh, Mac and DOS version, the ST got this. So get this, the Turbo Graphics got this. Yeah. And this was meant to be on a bunch of other machines. Mm. There was a Super Nintendo version in the works. There was a Nintendo version in the works. There was even a version they were working on for the freaking Jaguar. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, so... Well, Falcon is a is a is a is a uh, is a platform or is a series that's gone on for many a year. That's right. I believe the big one was Falcon Four, mm. and but the reason I mentioned that one is and this was also years ago. Obviously, mm. I mean, th- probably th- 25, 30 years ago when it came out. But it's one it's one of these like community held in high regard and quit and kept modding it and updating it and fixing bugs. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those deals, sort of like MechWarrior Three. Is another one that right. had that gotten that sort of treatment. But of course, no, this did not appear on the old uh, on the old Amiga, uh, so we'll leave that for another conversation. But yeah, dude, did you get a year on the fourth one? Well, I was I was just checking this out. I was looking at Wiki here, and I guess the very first Falcon game was actually for the MSX. Yeah, nineteen eighty four. It was on the MSX as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's weird. Have you looked at that version? No, I haven't. I it, haven't. It's, it doesn't look the same. Okay. I, I barely count that. Yeah. One. Well, they say it's not really an official yeah. entry point. Yeah. Because I looked at that when I was like, eh. I and don't then, know. like you said, Falcon three was the big one. That was in nineteen. 19- four. Or Falcon four was the big one, and it's it says that it's uh, one of the longest running game series in PC history to have used the same code base. Oh, that's neat. I, so, I didn't know that. yeah, the history of Falcon 4 spans over two decades. So it's pretty crazy 
that that game, they keep the same code base around for that many years, 1998 till present, I right. guess. So we mentioned that this was originally put out for the Mac and DOS. It was originally developed in conjunction with uh, Holobyte with an app, an app called Spear, right, of which these guys worked for, and then they moved it up. Now, we're going to talk about the Amiga version, but I will say uh, there are differences amongst the versions. Uh, and the, I will say the closest uh, Amiga version, the closest that's the same is the ST version. And, they, and there are reasons. And the main reason is the amount of missions that are involved. So, Falcon, you play Europe. You're, it's the flight simulator. We should probably mention that. Uh, and uh, in this game, you are going to fly F-16 jet fighters and uh, through a, a series of missions, I mean, really, you pick the mission you want to play. Although, the thing that separates the Atari and the Amiga version is that it, you can sort of go into, like, a scenario, like a, a continual running. Like a campaign. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Boat. Uh, uh, so, the game comes up. It's it's the normal stuff. It's got an opening screen. You come up, and then at this point, you you pick your pilot, and then you name your pilot, and then... You are set up to play the game. You've got a choice of where to start in terms of difficulty on this game. Uh, trust me when I tell you, start at the bottom and work <laughs> your way up uh, because this does ranks like in the military. You've got first lieutenant, captain, major, lieutenant colonel, and colonel. Uh, and even after that, you could increase the difficulty, which I'll get into. Uh, and then once you've chosen what rank you're going to go with, then it's time to choose your mission. They're 12 missions. They range from the real... I mean, really, I thought the one thing about this game that I thought was interesting, if you go through and look at the missions, none of the missions are like modern gaming-type missions where it's like uh, continual, like, wait, checkpoint, do this, then go here and do that. They're simpler missions, right. I guess. Even the more complicated ones, the more difficult ones, aren't like super-duper complex. Yeah, I would agree with it's that. It's like... And like, for example, in the first mission, go blow up a thing on the ground. That's the mission. Mm-hmm. The, one of the later missions is like, go try to destroy four MIGs single-handedly. That's the mission, mm-hmm. right? That It's not easy, by the way, but that's it's not like you're driving all over Earth. Right. Um, once you decide on the mission you're going to play, it's time to arm your jet. Uh, you are given a choice of armaments, but the guy the guy will set you up the armaments if you want to go that route, which I always did. Although the book does tell you what all this stuff does. Well, if you if you choose higher difficulty levels, you choose your loadout. Okay, well that would explain why I never did that because mm-hmm. I never went high. Uh, and then once you uh, get this done, you're ready to go. Now before we get into the actual flexion, boy, what did you think about the uh, way the Menus were set up, the opening, the ambiance, and whatnot. What'd you think about this? Well, I try and remind myself that this is the almost the first game of its kind, yeah. really. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about very, very early on, and a lot of the games that came after this game built upon it. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, I would have liked to have a little bit more information about the a lot of what this game relies. This game heavily, heavily, heavily relies on the manual. Okay, it, this game provides almost no in-game instructional material yeah. or information about the missions or anything. We covered another game where it just had the mission names and that's it. So it's right. the exact same thing. You've got to look up the missions in the book. Right, right. So that said, you know, I thought that they, it gets you into the action pretty quickly. Yeah. I definitely appreciated the fact that the game chooses the loadout for you. Yeah. On, because uh, that, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and at the beginning of the game, you don't always know what you're doing. Then you have to go and you have to decide what works and what doesn't. 
Um, I thought that the graphics in this game were stunning for the time. I thought the speed was stunning for the time because, again, you've got to look at this in the time period that it was produced. Yeah. And for 1989, there couldn't have been anything on a home computer that looked better than this game. Yeah. Uh, one thing I liked, you know, when it comes to the, the, the start of the game, it's simple. It doesn't mm-hmm. it overwhelm me. And then once I got past, the, I mean, of course, I had to look up the mission. I mean, you're, this is one... You could tell that piracy was on their minds right away because the first thing you do is this elaborate piracy mm. check. I think this thing had a wheel, maybe. And then you've got this thick manual, uh, and you have to have the manual. And you really, you know, let's say you know all the missions, you still need the manual because you've got to have. There are a hundred million keyboard commands with mm. this. I don't know how you play this. You can play this with a joystick, with a mouse, with a keyboard. I played it exclusively with the keyboard. I didn't touch anything You else. can even play this with the CDTV controller, yes. which is insane. Yeah, there's a CDTV if, version if, of this. If you, look at the, if you look at the controller layout for the CDTV version, it's, I mean, it's like the, it's like playing this with the Jag. I can see that this was in the works for the Jag, because yeah, okay. it would have been a similar deal. Because that dial would have got worn <laughs> out on the Jag, right. you know, the, the phone thing. But uh, um, I played this exclusively with the keyboard. I think a mouse would be smoother, probably, in terms, because... One thing I noticed is when you play this with the keyboard, you're sort of you jerk it. It doesn't. It's not analog when you move it, so it kind of jerks it, around. Yeah, it's it, this is this is a game that is sort of unique because it does not have analog controls at all, and that's one of the things that you associate most with your classic PC flight sims is that you've got that analog stick. This game is entirely digital controls. Yeah, the Amiga wasn't really. I mean, it did have analog controls, but it wasn't well known for that, right. especially back in these days. So once you once you've picked your mission, your your loadout, you're in the the plane. Now, when you look at this plane, don't get me wrong, okay? This is not wings. This is an elaborate, real I, I guess realistic portrayal of about a million things. You've got gauges and dials and spinners and lights and buttons everywhere. And when you look at the keyboard uh, overlay. You've got, uh, like I said, you've got to have the overlay. Don't no overlay, you screwed. I mean, you got to break down everything it, that it does. So luckily, these things are easily available, mm-hmm. and so I was able to look because I couldn't even get started. I couldn't even move. So by the way, I usually judge because we've played a few flight simulators on the show over the years. I think we've but, played them all. This is the last one. And so, oh, they're no, they're going to come up with and see you done <laughs> challenge them now. But so a lot of these sort of play the same, and so I thought to myself, how well can I play this given my knowledge of previous? So what did I do? I hit the plus button to fire up the engine. It worked. Mm-hmm. I hit the uh, button to turn off the wheel brake, I, which I can't okay, remember that from other games. Mm-hmm. Then I fired up the engine some more. The things started going forward. Then when it got to a certain speed, I hit down, and the things edged up. Mm-hmm. Bam, I was in the air. Oh, crap. As a chick saying, warning, warning, a hundred times. Yeah. Caution. Okay. Caution. So what do you do? Bam. Put the landing gear mm-hmm. up. I remember that. And mm-hmm. suddenly I'm in the air, brother. Yeah. Did you yeah. have it that easy? This you... game, people, I don't know why there's this stigma about this game is so ultra complicated. It's not. Well, I mean, it's the, not, it's, not taking off. Anyway. Well, well, now, is there, are there complicated things about this game? Are there things that are difficult about it? Absolutely. Yeah. But this game is not like your modern flight sim where you literally have to have a binder, a three-ring binder punched out, and you're going through a 47-page checklist yeah. of things to turn on. This is this is definitely the, the takeoff procedure and the actual flying around is definitely on the more arcadey side. Yeah, the, and once you get airborne, you're in the air now. 
here's things you have to figure out, and I did. Now, you're a smart guy, Bo, and you've probably played more of these than I have, but you've got a heads-up display in front of you that has, it. if you look at it and you know how to read it, it will tell you your heading. It will tell you your speed. It will tell you your altitude, right? All the things you need to have. And what's, and but you have to learn because the numbers don't necessarily match up. Like, for example, if you fly off the map, you'll hear radio chatter. They'll say, you need to switch the heading uh, 302, mm-hmm. right? Well, there is no 302. Well, what? But that's because the heading thing goes 10, 20, 30, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you know, oh, okay, thir- 302. But, but again, you have to consult the manual. Right, I, exactly. This is my point. But it, once you figure out what everything does, it's not that tough. Armament's not that tough. You've got a, sort of a heads-up display. You can switch the map on and off to let you know uh, it's a land map versus radar. Again, this is standard fare. Now, we're going to go to the assumption that this is one of the things that made this standard fare because everything ripped this off. Mm-hmm. But it works. It, it all works like it's supposed to. And having played so many of these over the years, I felt pretty comfortable pretty quick getting into this thing. Now... What about yourself on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I sort of go through the same thing that you do, where yeah. it's like, let's see how far I can get without the manual. Right. And what, what threw me, what made me turn to the manual at first was the heading thing. Because you the, too. Yeah. Because the, 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 one of the biggest flaws of this game is that they when you fly off the map, you just have no idea where you are. Right, yeah, because okay? you literally disappear. You literally disappear. Yeah. And it's not always easy to see where you are on the map, even in, in the best of times, because you're represented by this black, small, flashing square. Yeah. I would have done that differently. Yeah. That is, that is a, now, yeah, this game's not perfect. Mm-hmm. I was going to get that. Yes, that's, one of the things it does wrong is the map system is no good. It needs to represent you in a bigger and better and bolder way. Because that little black square blends in, it's mm-hmm. tough to see. You can imagine putting this on like a TV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You'd be the right. screwed. We'd right. be like, my God, what's going on here? Uh, uh, but once you learn how to control your heading, like when I would leave the map early on, I was screwed. I didn't know what I was doing. But once the guy says, okay, I will say I love the fact that a voice comes out and says, listen, you need to head to uh, 212. Mm-hmm. And you set it. And you, and, and then once you pick, okay, it worked. You're back on the map. Right. So it's a non-issue now, after you that. You know what I did? I Whenever don't. I flew off the map, I hit the A key. You know what Autopilot? that Autopilot? Yeah. 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 If you hold down A, it will take you exactly where you need to go. Oh, really? Yeah. Hold it down. Because I was what, just tapping it. If you, if you hold it down, it will do that. Or you can go continuous autopilot by pressing control D. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know about holding it down. All it was tapping. It would turn on, but it mm-hmm. didn't necessarily act very well. Yeah, you've got to hold it down. That's why, yeah. So once... So look, we're going to take the first mission as an example mm-hmm. here. But I, I, I played several missions. We'll talk about them. The first mission, you have to fly at least five kilometers from your base and blow up a ground target. You have to blow up three buildings. Yeah, yeah, you have to blow up. up it, and there, there's a bunch of like a little. I mean, there's a bunch of different places you can do it. There's only one place you can do it. No, no, no. There's multiple ground. But you don't get credit for them. But you can blow them up. Well, yeah. So you hit the button. You're in the air, and it's time to go there. Then you have to set it up. You set your ground weapon, and they've got different sort of radar. Uh, and that tracking, I guess, is the best way to put it, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. From between your air-to-air stuff and your air-to-ground stuff. Right, right. What did you think about? Because that was kind of the air-to-ground. It's a little weird. Well, you just have to select the right. You have to select the right 
weapon. Right, but if, I mean, if, if you, it trails in a weird kind. Of, it's, it's kind of neat, actually, yeah. the way it works. I didn't, you know, the the milk run. That's called milk run. Yeah. I'd say, and it's it's meant to be a training mission because it's that it, you have no uh, nothing's coming to get you, especially when you play. You have to go up to like the second or third difficulty level to even be able to be hit by other things. Yeah. So uh, in this, the, what the the biggest problem that I had, and this is a problem that I have in every single flight simulator, is that I want to jam on the throttle as hard as I can, yeah. and go as fast as I can. Yeah, yeah. And when you do that, it takes you about 470 miles to turn around. So you go on a run. It's not, you don't turn on the dime. Yeah, and you miss the target, and so it takes you forever. And so what? after watching some playthroughs, I'm like, you know what? I need to turn this throttle down. Turn this throttle down. And so what I did was I pushed the minus key, and uh, I backed it off to about 40, and then I was able to complete that mission with no problems, except for the fact that I was completely unable to what land. What song was that? You that were... was uh, Burn This Mother Out. You should have went, turn the throttle down. I could have done that. You should have done that. I always road. go Parliament when well, I can. I don't blame you, man. Who doesn't? Um, so, yeah. I, by the way, just an FYI, on the first mission, it took me, oh, I would get bored and quit about five times because I couldn't find anything for a while before I figured it out. I spent all week on this mission. Yeah. Oh, no, I actually moved. Did you try any of the, like, the bridge ones, for example? No. Okay, I did. Uh, bridge easier to see. The, the, mm, the, but but I, I didn't have anything taking me right to the target either. I had mm-hmm. to figure it out. Yeah. And so I blew up all kinds of crap. They, yeah. they load you yeah, up. I'll tell you this. This is one of the great things about this game is that you are, it's a sort of a sandbox environment. Yeah. You can fly anywhere. It's literally that, a sandbox. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The, 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 this is set in a, in, you, your, your enemy is never named in this game, but you're, you're just presented as you are working for NATO and there's there, there's bad stuff going down in the desert somewhere, and you need to go it's take Egypt, care of it. Egypt, clearly. Yeah. There's a bunch of pyramids out there. Although yeah. there are more than three pyramids. I was going to say this. <laughs> it's I'm super exactly Egypt. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I like the fact that you can. It kind of reminds me what I always go back to because it's just be a Super Mario 64, where you're not confined to just one part of the level to complete your objective. You can go anywhere in the level and do whatever you want, and just kind of hang around. And you are the 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 entire world of the game is these nine squares, and yeah. so you spend a lot of time just kind of flying around. Now the game tells you it says you're going to get good enough at this to where you won't even need to use the map. You can just look at like um, different things on the map, you know, visual indicators to show you where you are on the screen. Uh, I never got that good. Not me. Everything's brown. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it all looks the same for the yeah. air. Yeah. yeah, I never got anywhere near that. So I never, I never got that far, but. I will say I enjoy just being able to freely fly around the map and and check out the different things. Um, I do wish that they would have made your first mission more centrally located because those three buildings are right near the edge of the map. And once you go off the map, you cannot see yourself on the map. Yeah. And you can just keep going. And that that sucks. And without autopilot, I would have never been able to complete that first mission. Well, I can tell you having... Having autopilot work like that, it was not easy. Yeah. It took me forever. And then we can talk about the landing of the ship. Well, I, I, by the way, did you ever run out of gas? No, I didn't either. Okay, no. so maybe that's not something that you can do on the easy difficulty level. So landing, how'd you do? Bad. I couldn't even my. I couldn't even <laughs> like even the approach is difficult. Yeah, that's the hardest part. I, yeah. I landed this thing tons of times, but it was out in the desert, very mm. or like not on the runway. Right. I got on the runway one time, and I was barely on. But yeah. I was like, yay! Now, there are things that I... There are small things they could have done in this game that were doable that, that they chose not to do that I wish they would have done. All right. 
The first thing is they need to put some sort of on-screen element to tell you about how far you've gone into this mission, okay? So for example, uh, if you look at uh, the Rattlesnake Roundup, which is the third mission, it says you've got to destroy three SAM sites, okay? There's no on-screen indicator that says three, you know, you've destroyed one out of three. Yeah. You just kind of have to know that you've blown up. When you have an entire environment that you can blow everything up, sometimes it's not completely clear what you need to blow up. Now, I will say that, the again, from the instruction book, they do go into, they show you exactly where in this nine square quadrant the uh, the targets are that you need yeah. to blow up. And that is helpful, but... I was irritated, but I didn't know that at first. I would like to see something on screen just to tell you. And then when you blow them all up, at least give me something. Give me a round of applause or something that say, okay, you know, you've done it. Uh, because when I blew up those three things for the milk run, it wasn't like, all right, go and land. Now, maybe it was because I didn't blow up the right three, but did you get any sort of indicator that says it's time for you to go back to the base? I don't know if I ever successfully, in fact, I know I did not ever successfully complete a mission. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that right now. Now, I did blow up the thing in the book, mm -hmm. after, and that's how I found it, by the way. You're right. The manual does tell you where to go. And it, uh, you know, and generally, and, and general idea, what you, of course, getting there, staying there, like you said, not easy. At first, I just blew around blood of every building I saw. But I never got any sort of indication that I had done it right. Now, I watched videos of people playing this, and I didn't see anything either until you land. Then you could get one. Uh, but and, but it was so hard to land, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and and even when you can't die from landing, I still couldn't land where I needed to. Mm -hmm. It was difficult. But these are things... This is the problem with the game. I usually have a disclaimer, which I didn't use this time, but it's true. Trying to learn Falcon in five days, ah, 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 in Cossigal. It's good. This is one of those games you sat down with for like months. Oh, yeah. When, and you just and, take the book into John with you for right. a couple weeks. And this know? is the kind of game that I think would be very rewarding because you have your missions laid out. You know, you've got your, your 12 missions or whatever. And... You have, you're like, all right, this is my game. Maybe you shelled out money for this because you've got the manual. Yeah. <clears throat> and you're like, I'm going to spend the next two months and I'm going to master every single one of these missions. And when you when you do that, you really feel a sense of accomplishment because you not only have you completed these missions, but you've mastered the art of flying this craft on the game. Yeah, and I will say, I had fun flying it because you can do like... Pretty intricate maneuvers. Mm -hmm. It's a jet. Yeah. And so I remember in one distinct, you know, because when you get, there's a proximity warning when you're going to hit the ground. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to chase these MIGs around, right? And I pulled, and they always get behind me. Did you um, Did you have that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you oh, can, yeah. It's almost, That's what they do. They're super hard to see mm -hmm. even see in front yeah. of you. And they won't shoot you at that level. It you turns just, out dogfighting, not easy. Yeah. And so what I started doing was I did this move one time where I lifted up and then dove directly at the ground mm -hmm. while turning like doing a reverse loop mm -hmm. and the chicks going or the guys going crazy like, no warning warning i'm just like screw i'm going for it and i mean i was so close i'm sure my canopy scraped the See, earth it felt like top gun at as that I point pulled up, yeah. and i keep in mind that my head was down near the dirt mm -hmm. and i put i was like and i spun that thing around like yeah, yeah. I, I danger to, zone and i could in the see background. the planes i'm like yeah and then they got behind me again i was like no i had very little not good success with air-to-air -air combat in this yeah ground to air bridges i could shoot and that's that's another great thing about this game is that the game offers a it offers plenty of different types of missions. I yeah. mean, they're all blow stuff up, but at least they don't make you do nothing but dogfighting. Right, missions. right. And there, there's a depth to this that it's funny. This is a, not a deep game, but it is. 
it's not like there aren't. Uh, you're not going out to sea. You're not going to be fighting over the tundra. You're pretty much stuck with this area, and you're not going to be picking from thirty planes, mm-hmm. right? And you're not going to be fighting a hundred different enemies, okay? But the plane itself is the game, yeah. Because there's right. so much, there's so much you can do with the actual plane mm-hmm. that you. That is where the game's fun is. Mm-hmm. Someone who like who can do all these intricate maneuvers who can get really good at outmaneuvering people, that's the key element. And there's also stuff we would never use, like dropping chaff and uh, uh, flares, mm-hmm. stuff that we're too, we can't do, do no, that. No. We're, we suck. But, you know, and when to use your afterburner and to do crazy stuff with that, Right. Th- that's the game. Yeah. And that's one of, this is one of those games. And this is what they had at, at that time. You know, mm-hmm. before your F-19s and your F-29s, all that stuff, Came and took what this was and and, and augmented it. Mm-hmm. This was the game. You yeah. would agree? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, so this game did well, boat. Uh, I want to talk about a couple things here. Uh, this got the old golden joystick, best 16-bit simulation game of 1989. Uh, Software Publishers Association best strategy action game, technical achievement. Uh, it goes on and on. It got five or six awards. And so when you get a game that does this well, by the way. Ranked Amiga's eighth best game of all time in Amiga Power, 91. So you know you're going to get, uh, and they set this up ahead of time, you know you're going to get some sequels. Well, this is the day where they just put out a sequel every three seconds. This had expansion discs, Boat. I didn't try these because I thought we might tackle them at some point in the future. But it had Falcon Operation Counter-Strike and Falcon Operation Firefight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Uh, these were a whole all new scenario discs that you would put yeah. in. It's even you could tell when you load them up. We didn't mention that when you're in game, you can pause the game, and if you right click on a, on your uh, mouse, you'll have access to a pull down menu. Mm-hmm. And amongst the things that the pull down menu can do is alter your controls uh, if you don't want to use the hot key. And it'll also, uh, it's used to set up network games we haven't talked about. We'll get into that in a second. You can also turn on like MIG aces to make the MIGs even harder. Nope. No. No, thank you. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. Uh, so it gives you a little more extra uh, options. Now, let's talk about the link-ups here, mm-hmm. Boat. This is one of the unique games. I mean, there can't be more than a handful of these that let you uh, no modem up with another computer to play uh, competitive one-on-one flight sim combat. The neat thing... Now, we didn't get to do this, although maybe at Boat Fest we might give this a whirl. But one of the neat things about this is, is uh, sort of like Battle Chess, you don't have to use another Amiga. What else could you use, Boat? You can use a Macintosh, yeah. which is crazy. That's crazy. Or you can use a PC. That's right. That's right. Exactly correct. Speaking of the PC, Boat, uh, we mentioned this came out uh, for DOS. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought we, you mentioned you tried a bunch of these things. So let's have a look at it real quick. A boat. Now, yeah. did you? You said you gave this a whirl. So did you? I, I did not actually play this. I just checked it out yeah. on the old YouTube. But it's immediately apparent. This is the, you know that the late '80s were the Amiga's heyday and really sticking it to DOS. Yeah. In terms of the graphical fidelity of these games, I mean, you've got something that looks like it could be an early VGA title with the Amiga versus this 16 color nightmare on the DOS yeah. machine. Yeah. I will say that this game does support Tandy sound, which mm-hmm. is cool. Yeah, and the Tandy sound is impressive. Yeah. Uh, and this game's okay. I, I believe it or not, I, I believe I played this back in the day. Mm. Uh, uh, but it's again, it's not the kind of game I would have gotten into. I mean, I don't think I bought it. Mm. I'll put it that way. The thing that really got me, and I agree with you, the Amiga version blows the DOS version away. And also, of course, you had an extra year to hone this, what you wanted to do with sure. the, with the uh, the Amiga version. The one that got me is, if you'll indulge me, 
uh, is that, yes, they released a Turbo Graphics. It got, it's the console. It got this big release. It is very bare bones. Yeah, I would like to try this because they obviously the, the Turbo Graphics doesn't have a keyboard, so they have they'd have to simplify a lot of the controls and everything to make this happen. Yeah, it may it might make it a little bit easier, and it doesn't look bad. You know, it's I, I like the fact that you're now fighting in some sort of pastoral green area instead of the desert sand. It looks like Illinois. Yeah, it's like where we were, just flat. <laughs> right, you know, but there's a lot of wind there. Mm -hmm. The, the the readout on the on the uh, control panel is just very it's very unusual, but I guess that's just a it's just the same radar. Mm -hmm. But it's not bad. It almost has an Atari Twenty Six Hundred Activision look to the sky. Yeah, if you want the truth, yeah. I think that's kind of neat. Um, I looked the the uh, to see how this thing did on uh, in the magazines. I mean, obviously it won a ton of awards, so it probably did pretty well. Lemon gives us an eight point two. Uh, and if you look across the screen, I don't think we've seen uh, too many games score better than this one. Uh, everyone from Amiga Action uh, down to Zero One gave this scores in the 80s and 90s. There's only one outlier, Amiga Power 17, which gave us a 74, but everyone else was really into this. Well, Amiga Power, that would have been well after the original release date. Yeah, yeah. Because Amiga Power didn't even launch until 1991. Oh, that would explain it yeah. then, but well, then one would wonder why they would bury it. But still, you got, did you get any... Uh, uh, Action on the old uh, Discord. We did. We got one review from Mobius, and he says, after almost eight years and over 400 podcasts, you guys have finally decided to cover Falcon. Well, I hate to break it to you, Mobius, but we didn't decide to. We, we never would have decided to cover this game. <laughs> Falcon is one of the best games on the Amiga and its best flight simulator by a country mile. Ooh. At the time, it was probably the best simulator, flight or otherwise, ever made on any platform, not just the Amiga. As you can tell, Mobius is quite the fan of this game. Yeah. It was as realistic as Sublogic's Flight Simulator, but actually fun to play. Nowadays, when Amiga Flight Sims are mentioned, FA-18 Interceptor dominates the conversation. Falcon blows it out of the water and sky. Don't get me wrong, I loved Interceptor and played it to completion, but in that game you could take off, pull the stick back, and be almost in the stratosphere in a matter of seconds. If you tried that in Falcon, the plane would quickly stall and be a scorch mark on the desert. I remember discussing the realism with Falcon with a recruiter for the U.S. Air Force Academy at my high school's college career fair. I mentioned that if you did not retract the landing gear, it would damage the plane, resulting in a change in aerodynamics and a crash. The recruiter was most impressed by the flight computer's voice being the same digitized samples as the real F-16s he had flown. No. That's, you're kidding that's me. That's true. That's I just true. thought they'd get some dude at the thing to do those. For this game, the manual was not an option, which tells me it was one of the few Amiga games I actually bought. <laughs> there it is. Realism aside, the game was fun and performed well. Unlike most other sims of the time, you could engage ground targets. Doing a dive bombing run on a building or taking out a convoy of moving vehicles on a road with strafing run are some of my favorite or fondest uh, memories in gaming. Yeah. The performance was great because it used the combined 3D environment plus sprites technique adopted in a later game such as Wing Commander. You could get close enough to a MiG-21 to see its distinctive nose cone before obliterating it with your 20mm Vulcan Gatling gun. It would do this smoothly, unlike the slideshow you would watch playing Frontier Elite on a stock Amiga 500. The quality of this game is evident by some of the original code base still being present in Falcon 4.0. This code still being actively developed by a large group of dedicated enthusiasts. What other Amiga game can claim such lineage? Hopefully some of that code will be in an upcoming release of Falcon 5.0. Falcon, 98% and Amiga's best flight sim, if not best game, period. Wow. Mobius out. He put that thing over big time. It is neat that uh, someone who actually has flown had the scoop on that. That's pretty cool. That is cool. You know, I like that, that cool. man. 
That's the only one you got? That's the only one. He wrote one. it up for everybody. That's I think, right. On that one. But just in case you're interested in picking this up, and so who wouldn't be? It's actually quite reasonable to get the uh, just original Falcon. I saw it complete in box boat for 30 bucks. I saw the European version complete in box for 40 Now, if you want the CDTV version... Get the checkbook yeah, out. Seven hundred bucks are best odds, but that Boy, guy's fishing. There can't be that many of them out there. Yeah, and then the mission discs I saw going uh, not that expensive. I saw them going from twelve bucks all the way up to forty, fifty bucks, depending on what you're looking for. So some some deals to be had. This one, if you're going to buy a game, this would not be the worst game to buy because it's fun. It will run on any Amiga, and the manual is beefy, super beefy boat. Yeah, yeah, a good one. I like this one. Welcome to Retro Rewind. I'm your host, British Jones. Whether you enter the Amiga, Commodore 64, or Tiger Floral Print Speedsuits, Retro Rewind has all you need from the friendly hosers of the Great White North. Looking to upgrade your Amiga? Check out the Amiga OS 3.2.2 Kickstart ROM for just $18. Or maybe you need a C64 or C128 diagnostic harness. Grab one. Wow, they're hot. Don't miss our bestsellers like the 1541 Transit Card for just $1 or the incredible Amiga Coin Cell Battery Adapter. Shop now at Retro Rewind Limited and bring your classic computers back to life. Retro Rewind Limited. Frank's the man. Amiga News. You know, Aaron, we only have a couple stories this week, but they're uh, they're pretty cool. They're pretty cool. This first one comes to us from 10-Minute Amiga Retrocast. Doug, he's back, and he's talking about the Pi Storm. Okay. So, Doug, a, few, a while back, he did a Pi Storm, like, I guess, a review, and he noticed that it was getting bogged down uh, during certain high-end AGA operations. Mm-hmm. Don't say it. I know you've got something in your head. So, I guess they put, have put forth a bunch of updates, and he wanted to test to see if there'd been any, any, any improvement, and so that's what this video is about. It's yeah. a, a, so, a, I watched this thing. Yeah. Oh, good. And uh, long story short, watch the video, because Doug goes deep into exactly what, what he's experienced with the Pi Storm before and after. Yeah. But the long and the short of it is, if you are doing things with your Amiga that Doug is doing, like uh, high-res desktops yeah. and the like... This update, unfortunately, is not going to cure your woes. Yeah, but I mean, at least they're they're on the way, and let's hopefully they'll get something to. And uh, for your average, Doug says this multiple times. For your average schlup like ourselves, we would probably never even notice right. this. We'd be good to go. Well, we wouldn't again, have we wouldn't buy a pie storm because yeah. we wouldn't need one. But for people doing high end graphics work and stuff, mm-hmm. and a lot of people do, uh, this is one that might uh, might get you. Like there's a it's a memory issue. Uh, speed thing, but they're always updating this, and this is a continual project. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there you go. So there, that's expected. So okay, it was a good video. It was very uh, educational uh, on the process. Now, I watched two videos this week uh, from our good buddy, uh, and here it is. Yeah. Whoop, there he is. Let me just mute him here. Our good buddy being our Chris good, Edwards. I'm sorry, good buddy. I got distracted. Good buddy Chris Edwards here. I watched, I want to talk about the first one real quick, which was, Recapping a CD32, uh, man, I wouldn't want to do that. There was like 30-some caps, mm. and man, I'm telling you, it's just a drag to do it. It's such a pain uh, to do it. So this his second video was intriguing to me 
because what you've got here is one of these like mini. Uh, it's like a mini MIG, uh, Amiga on a, on a small board. It's like so an FPGA. I was going to say mini MIG is also the name of the core. That's on it. The Mister. That's it. That's that's what this is. Okay. But this this is a unique piece of kit here because it has a socketed. It's got a socket on it that will literally allow you to put actual accelerate Amiga accelerators on the Mini MIG. Why would you need to do that? Because the Mini MIG doesn't go that it doesn't like you've got the Mister version. Yeah, there's no, you can't set it to like a million uh, miles an hour. It has a limit. This actually, and also just the fact that you could do stuff with it that you can't do without actual hardware. For example, like, like he puts accelerators on this thing and an accelerated. Uh, uh, sixty-eight thousand chip on it, and, and with good results. It was actually it was an intriguing. Listen, I can understand where you're coming from. You can step back and say, and again, you would never do this, neither would I. But if someone wants an accelerator, well, that, that, I mean, it's it's an honest question. Like, so you're saying that the FPGA that's on the Mini MIG board needs to be accelerated to unlock its full potential? Well, well the Mini MIG pops out, and at uh. You know, was it 20, 20 megahertz, something like that? These things are going way past that. These are like 6860s, like with like a zillion tons of memory. They're like super jacked up so, beyond uh, the the normal up. The, so, the, so it does. It, it extends the, the power of the chip that's on the FPGA chip. Right, right, okay. right, right. Exactly. Uh, and... What else does it do? Well, it's an uh, if, if you don't want a mister, mm-hmm. or you've got something else in mind, mm-hmm. or you just want to be able to do the acceleration stuff, this is the board for you. If you've I got see. one of these expensive Kate, Stephen Jones cases, for example, mm-hmm. or you want to build something, then you do, and now this is more expensive than a mister. I can imagine. Okay. Yeah. And then that's not counting whatever wacky peripherals you want to stick on there and turn. And by, here's the thing. Here was my thing with this. There's two things. Just I think this is interesting. And having you're talking to someone who owns a wacky mini MIG gimmick, and with, with the thing I've got, right? This thing doesn't have it doesn't have HDMI, which I don't like. Now I know that's there's some sort of limitation that I don't know why they can't do that, but it has no USB. Maybe it's maybe it's like the old uh, Unamiga. Same, yeah, it's, same it's, sort no, of it's deal. exactly the yeah. same. But it also has no USBs. Well, really? Yeah, it has no USBs, so you still have to hook this up to a 31 or. You have to hook it up to a special VRS, monitor, yeah, yeah. which is that. And oh, I, I'm, yeah. When that happens, I'm out, brother. Right. I'm right. out. I can't do it. I'm not interested. However, if you're already rigged for this sort of stuff, this thing's ready to go, and it looked pretty tight. I, and, and, I do like the fact that there's a bespoke piece of hardware that just emulates only the Amiga, but I'm sure it runs other cores. Sort of like the Unamiga. It's the same sort of deal. It does run other cores. Uh, now, here's a question for you. Yeah. How does this compare spec-wise to the Unamiga? It's it's better. Okay. Uh, okay. It's 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 got more potential. How about that? I mean, does it run the mini mig core? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. With that said, uh, if you ran the mini mig core, it'd probably behave almost identically to what I've got the enemy. Mm-hmm. However, uh, you've got uh, you've got the ability to uh, load up specialized Amiga cores that aren't the mini mig core. To work with stuff like a a Pi Storm or a, or a, a any of these other nutty exotic chip that you can put in there, okay. the, you could like a, the Raspberry Pi, the whole the whole bit. 
You know, like for example, I can't just stick a net. I can't put a Raspberry Pi on the Amiga to even just to unlock the networking potential or the or the RAM potential that yeah. you could have. Yeah. So it's a real. I'd never heard of this until until. I mean, this really came out of the blue. I was surprised to see it, uh, but it's it's an intriguing device. I'm not sure what they're going for. I'm sure that they're sold out already because I think it's a pretty limited run thing. Uh, but uh, oh yeah, he also stuck a terrible fire into the yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna watch this. This sounds really cool. I love pieces of hardware like this. It just it's cool that they exist. Yeah, Jason reminds me. It does have a switch on it. This is wacky. It's got an onboard switch that lets you switch from. 31 kilohertz to 15, mm. you know? But, I mean, again, I, uh, you know, eh. And I've heard, in fact, he just confirmed it. I heard there's another version of this or someone else that's going to actually have, like, slots on it. Yeah, having Zora slots on something like that, that's super cool. But we're going we're going to a weird world here. We're already uh, in a weird world. We are. We're in a weird world with these with these hardware things. Like, I don't even know what we're doing anymore, <laughs> and be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, and the thing is, this is... This is more capable than a real Amiga, so more or less. But I mean, it's also really expensive, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and that's not counting the like I said. These, it's not like they give this stuff away either. You got to pay, you right. know. So you're going to be in for five hundred bucks or more to get this thing jacked up. Yeah. And then you can get a you can, you're on your way to get a decent Amiga at that point. But I mean, people have moved beyond. Yeah, it's a different sort of niche of the hobby. You know, we've been thing. doing this for so long. I mean, can you imagine if we first started? You'd say, "Listen, here's what's going to be happening in 2020." We'd be like, "What? That's got to be baloney." We couldn't fathom. We couldn't even get video out of these things, mm-hmm. you know. And now you've got this crazy stuff here. So anyway, it's good stuff. Chris does a good job of laying it out, and of course, much like Doug, like he's if it, if he doesn't like something, he'll tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was some quibbles in here and some weird. There's a couple of things that got weird, but I mean, the actual piece of hardware looks pretty solid. I'm not sure where this is out of either. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's out of Poland or Spain. I don't know who did this, but it's an interesting device. If you're inclined to think you might want to get one of these things, uh, check out Chris Edwards' channel on YouTube. Out Chris, of Canada, oh, man. Chris says. Those hosers are are a smart bunch up there, Boat. That, yeah. That's all we got, Boat. All right, man. What's been going on on the old YouTube channel? Let's see what we've got here, Boat. So... Uh, a couple releases this week, Boat, uh, and I'm going to let you talk about this one. Eight, just to give us a brief, brief synopsis, because the, the thumbnail is so invocative of what's happening. It's 8-bit Skyrim. What That's, is that, Boat? So we played a game on the Coco Show that was so massive that I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was it was a totally open-world yeah. exploration game, and I was like, it's like an 8-bit Skyrim, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna latch onto that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so uh, this is the the, co- the most successful Coco show of all time. It's it's up there. It's no, up. it's the most successful. Oh, is Coco it now? Show it's, of all time. it's taking the number one spot. Yes. What was, what this, was the number one spot before? Was like 200 views. We had one of those mystery games with bananas. That's why I didn't know yeah. if it surpassed it. But yes, this is also a good game. Yeah. And so it's nice when a good game gets a lot of views, and no one had heard of this thing. Right. And by the way, we may be talking to the author of this on the Coco mm-hmm. uh, on the uh, Coco Nation at some point in the near future. Uh, the other thing we released this week, myself and the Brent, this was the ARG where the, and the title "Games Pixel Gaiden Podcast" got wrong. This was our crossover episode with Pixel Gaiden, featuring a guest audio appearance by Eric Nelson. We had a lot of fun uh, with this one, Boat. Too much fun, frankly. Uh, that's all we got this week, Boaster. All right, let's move on, shall we? What are yes, we playing sir. next week? Let's take a look. Oh man, it's not just any storm; it's a data storm. Oh, that's a pretty I good name, it. but yeah, data storm I like that. Good. Yeah, I've never heard of that either. Yeah, so we will check out data storm and report back next week. Until then, we'll see you next time.
Adios! Amigos is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Patreon supporters help choose the games we play, receive exclusive magnets, and get access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server. Visit patreon.com slash amigospodcast if you'd like to support the show and join our community.